everyone knows their state senator. Uh, you probably don't know uh, who your U.S. senator is, and so you're not expected to know who somebody else's state senator may be. But one of the Florida state senators who's been making news and uh, is becoming a little bit of a household name in this age of corona is our next guest on Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch, Senator Jason Pizzo, who I had, um, I've, I think I've met briefly and I've spoken to you briefly about other stuff, but you have rolled up your sleeves, sir, during this pandemic and have been really working on the unemployment demic aspect of this. Um, I want to say, how are you and try and be cheerful, but I know it's uh, a tough time for you, what you've been working on. So how are you? Uh, a little tired and, a lot, and, a, and very angry at this point, Peter. That's not good. Uh, I want to read, this is what prompted me to call you. Not that I didn't want to talk to you before, and I know you've been doing <laughs> town halls. Um, you texted me at 11.30 last night, which I go to sleep around 11 because I try to get up to do somewhere around four. I'm sorry. You said, I told, and I'm not gonna put who it is. Well, you told somebody at the Department of Management Services to go F themselves uh, when he got sarcastic with me about wanting to volunteer in the mailroom or call center uh, about uh, what you've been doing. So what are you doing in Tallahassee right now? Why are you camped out there? What's going on? So, like every other senator and, and state representative, receiving emails, Facebook messages, Twitter posts, all, all very types of desperation. They started as frustration, and I think we're sort of mirroring. I mean, I'll, I'll hopefully never know the desperation of an expectant mother or a cancer patient and can't afford medicine or that situation, but it builds and it builds and it weighs on you. So we came up here on the 21st. I got to meet with Satter on the 22nd the next day. It was a very nice meeting, it was pleasant. He was riding, I think, one week of a new wave of progress. And that following weekend, he processed and paid 177,000 applicants. And I just said, listen, I'm up here because, quite frankly, I'll take the blame or the heat for anything that I'm directly responsible for or, have, or, or can participate in. So please, you know, judge all of us on the bills that we draft, the arguments that we make, you know, the, the discussion that's had and the votes that we make on the floor. Well, this is an executive function and it's just not working. So I wanted to get in, in, in people's faces because it was it was intellectually and morally dishonest to tell people anything. I'm sitting at home in Miami and all I'm doing is just relaying messages and asking for, for results that aren't happening. So I figured it would be productive to get in people's faces. I, I have the resources to do this. I'm, I'm fortunate that way. So I came up here, we had the meeting. The following Thursday, we got him on a Facebook Live uh, to answer a number of questions. Yeah. was a little bit of confusion as well and caused further frustration. But my conversations with them have been more aspirational about where they're trying to get to. The, the announcement that they would go retroactive to March 9th on payments when they haven't, haven't even facilitated and, and performed on, on, on later ones. So I'm really just being a nudge, and, and I wasn't kidding or being sarcastic myself or flippant when I was like, listen, just put me in the mailroom. I mean, seriously, put me in the mailroom. Let, let me have some participation in actually trying to get one, ten, a hundred, or a thousand people processed and paid. And we have met with, with, uh, with resistance on that, and I'm not alone. It's, it's not partisan. Jeff Brandish drove up here at a moment's notice when I asked him to. 
just to show that this was truly ecumenical, you know, when we did the Facebook Live, the frustrations are the same. Um, what is the problem? And I, I, I know it's, uh, like, don't make, I, I, I fear with some of this stuff that if you put your finger in one dike, another thing comes out. Um, what are the two or three problems with the Unemployment Connect system? I, I know it sucks. I get it. But yeah. at the basics, what are the problems? Well, it, it's becoming like the definition of insanity, you know, trying to repeat the same thing. So they're throwing good money after bad. They did uh, 72 additional servers to expand capacity, which ha handles some traffic. But really, it's almost a philosophical problem at this point because they'll have, they've kicked out tens of thousands at any given time ID verification issues with, with cases. So you have at any given time up to 25,000 or more people whose IDs haven't been verified. That can't be done by a call center person who's sitting in their home on a four hour shift or a five hour shift who doesn't have access to the system. What we've all learned, I think, un unhappily in the last 24 hours is that the, the rumors about call center employees only having basically a cheat sheet on how to deflect and diffuse people's anger is really the case. Just this morning before you and I got on this podcast, Paul, I had someone reach out to me saying, Senator, listen, I'm sorry, I, I got I, I to come out, I got to come clean. I'm starting my day today as a call center employee and I can't submit anything on the system. So I will spend the entire day uh, not being able to help anybody. So the 2,000 call center employees are not able to process anybody. There's 138,000 as of the other day, 138,000, Peter, people who are waiting to have their employer wage verification. What does that mean? Well, when Disney laid off 43,000 people announced on April 19th, the number actually swelled to about 70,000. That should have been pre-packaged and sent over in a digital format to the state, put those people in the queue. I'm not saying jump the line, but I'm saying there really should have been nothing outstanding. You have everyone's W-2s, wage earnings, length of employment, et cetera, whether it's through ADP or some other payroll service or the company. It's inexcusable. So each one of those Disney, each one of those Disney folks still has to be individually verified uh, or signed off on at some level? Yeah, so one of the, they, they call themselves cast members, the ones that work there. Right, yes. And, and one of the union heads reached out to me when we did the Facebook Live. He's like, listen, I represent 3,000 people. We're having an impossible time. Now I'll say for Disney, I reached out to their, to their lobbyist, to Leticia, and she was uber receptive immediately to be like, listen, I'll, we'll take care of our people. Just if people send you emails or reach out to you, just forward them to me and I'll work with the state on them. Yeah. I mean, it's scalable. So people should not be waiting in a queue because there's no employer wage verification. That's not the fault of the applicant. If you work at a Marriott property, some people have put the FBIN number for their employer verification of Marriott Corporation. Well, that's not right if it's uh, Ritz Carlton or, or in a loft hotel that's run by another single purpose entity. And that's holding up over 100,000 people. And so last week- I How do you solve that? Do you, uh, does the governor PSA that? I mean, what do you, what do, you do to solve that part? I mean, because that's, that's all those small, I mean- You can't, you can't, right, but you can't, you can't keep the call center people a little pregnant at this point. I mean, either give them full access or, or just get rid of them. And we need to go manual. And what I mean by that is I told Ken Lawson you know, the first week in April, I'm like, hey, man, listen, we have 160 legislators. I have three staff members. Most senators do. House of Representatives have two. We're talking 500 people. 
And if we can process, you know, 100 each, each day, that's 5,000 a day, that'll help. We probably could have done more. I think I was underestimating. And they said, thank you, but no thank you. And then he was replaced, obviously, on the 15th. I talked to Satter. I said I made the same offer if things shouldn't go so well, but it looked like they were going well. And sure enough, we're back in a situation where the same day the governor at 6 p.m. at a press conference last Monday announcing how things are great and then said something so completely unbelievable. He's like, listen, if you filed in March and haven't gotten paid yet, you either like screwed something up or you're not, you're, you're not eligible. So what I did is I took six women that I knew from personally emotional stories, not that I knew them personally, but having read their emails, their messages from people from all over the state. One was a cancer patient, one's an expected mother, 33. A, a random sampling of six, all deemed ineligible. And I gave that to the governor's office. I hand walked it over last Wednesday. And we're still not through all the six, but of the ones that they've addressed, and this is like, you know, special priority, random samplings. We don't talk in broad strokes and generalities, but actually specific cases. We're not through all the six, and so far the ones that they have seen, they're all, they all qualify. One was held up for like social security, but it was like it was nonsense. Is it just a, all right, so I get some of the emails that you kind of get yes. frustrated people. Do you, is it just basically a myth when people are like, I can't, can, I can't call. Is calling even worth it at this point? Like when they're, when they're like, I can't get in touch with an agent. Are, are you basically saying the call center people can't do anything anyway? This, I'll tell you, a lot of it's been rumors that have festered into facts, but I'll tell you this morning, I know specifically and for sure that if you call and talk to someone in the call system, the submit button after entering someone's information to the system is not available. It's grayed out. Jeez. And that's, that's as of this morning. So when the governor says it's all hands on deck, Peter, that means, hey, if you've got a pulse and a state ID, come on up or set yourself up where you are in your office and help us out. I mean, Peter, how ridiculous is it? We can't help our own constituents. I, uh, it's ridiculous and I, like, so I talked with somebody yesterday. I think, uh, I did a radio interview. I think we've got a really bad situation that's gonna get even worse because, okay, so you've been uh, unemployed for two months. Now your restaurant job just opened back up at 25% capacity. And right. now you're faced with this decision do you go back to your crappy job that's, you know, it is by definition limited how much you, you know, really can sure. take it's in. Capped. You're capped, yeah. And you haven't received your unemployment now. So you're going to be back at work having taken a two-month hit working at a job where, you know, you're going to be making, let's say you make 50% of what you made before because not everybody goes back. Can you imagine how, like, people are pissed off now. But there's a difference between being pissed off and not having to work and pissed off and having to go wash dishes. And I feel like that's what we're going to have. We're going to have tens of thousands of folks like that who basically, hey, you just don't have any money for the last two months. And now you got to come back. And it sets up a really bad class warfare situation. Information workers like myself who haven't been impacted at the same level. I'm going back to the restaurant now. And here's the waiter who hasn't been paid in two months. I mean, if I'm him, I'm, sli you know, if I, you know, I'm slicing my throat. You know, he's like, you know, I go to order a third dirty martini. I, I think he's gonna take that martini and, and, you know, knock me over the head with it at this point. 
Yeah, uh, let, let me tell you something. It's along that that line of thinking, this is what this is what haunts me. You have people that haven't gotten a dime in a couple months, so they're more obviously interested than they should be in eating in their own health. They default on a car loan. They don't pay their rent. The eviction moratorium from the governor on, on Executive Order 2094 expires on May 17th, this coming Sunday. So you get evicted. You're going to have people who, when, when I say wealth, I don't mean actual, like, that they're rich. I just mean, you know, solvency and, and, and the ability to survive. This state is wiping out over holds up over uh, being held up over ID verifications, fraud detections, employer wage verifications is going to wipe out an entire section of the working public whose credit scores without remedy from our federal congressional partners are going to plummet so poorly and so badly that they won't be able to get credit going forward. You're going to compound and create a snowball effect where somebody goes from a 705 credit score down to a 610. They won't qualify for a new car loan, so you won't be buying. They won't pass a background check with a credit score at a, at a condo or an apartment building, so they won't be able to rent. And this is just going to exacerbate the problem. I've explained to a number of people who don't disagree with me but won't say anything publicly that we're reaching the, reaching the tipping point that if you're employing 2,000 people a day to do nothing, effectively do nothing, that it's costing more to the state of Florida and to you and I as taxpayers than it is just to pay the people. I mean, if you got somebody on staff for a week and they haven't successfully been able to process someone through the system, that's more than paying 275. We're in a situation right now where we, I think we need a governor who, who assigned the front of a paycheck in his lifetime and not just the back. I don't think they understand simple economics here. It's scary. All right, so let's talk about that. Um, how are the politics lining up? I make, so I, I've been talking about this over the last couple of days. Um, I've noticed that a bunch of kind of, a bunch of Democrats have filed in long shot races. Cord Byrd in House District 11 uh, against Tom Lee. Uh, et cetera, I, against Joe Bruders. Do I think that they can win? No. But I think that if you've got 500,000 to a million unemployed Floridians through no fault of their own, I don't know how those people vote one way or the other. And I say that as Democrat and Republican. If they were Trump voters, I don't know that they stick with Trump. If they're DeSantis voters, I don't know that they stick with DeSantis. And if they're Democratic voters, I don't know that they stick with the Democrats. How do you see the how do you see the politics playing out over the next couple months? I think it depends on concentration and pockets of how people feel. I think three months ago, people were really earnest and really enthusiastic and die hard about about a single issue that was really important to them. I think that all really gets discounted when it comes to feeding your child and trying to provide a roof over their head. And when you have housing and food insecurity, I think your position, your philosophical position on politics kind of changes. I got to be fair, though. I'm sure I'll take a lot of heat for saying this. I know a lot of my Republican colleagues are just as frustrated as I am. They're just as pissed off as I am. Uh, now, how it evidences itself is none of them signed yes on uh, in my in my house. Nobody signed yes to come back for a special session. I think if it was narrowed in scope just to unemployment issues, I think maybe it would have had a better chance. But it was expanded to multiple things, uh, elections and unemployment and health care. But yeah, like I know Brandis, he's my buddy in the Senate, Republican, he's not running, but 
he's he's just as angry as I am. We talk several times a day. We're trying to nudge the same people. But in specific races, I mean, I guess you're going to have to account for some currency to the fact that the Republicans probably should be pressuring the governor to call us back recession. He can do it or we can do it. Um, so talking to some Republican Senate leadership, they'll make, they, they tell me the reason why they don't want a special session is because they don't want the unemployment to be, you know, that they, if they had a special session that just dealt with the budget stuff, deal, doling out the CARES Act money, et cetera, they would do it. But what they don't want is a special session where Anna Escobani and, uh, and, and probably yourself and other Democrats get to, you know, bitch for, uh, from the floor, uh, because that doesn't, that doesn't, that they don't want those options. I mean, I think that's the narrative right now, uh, that I'm hearing as to why there's not a special session. Peter, I, I bet you, I bet you, I could swing it that I would have a signed guarantee from Democrats not to say a word if this was all prepackaged. All right. Well, I, you know what? I think we're gonna have the Senate President designate on the pod this week, so I will, I will play peacemaker between um, the two of you. Um, let me. Why are you up there? Like, what are you doing? Like, uh, you're like. Downplay the critics. Like, are you running for governor in a couple years? Are you, I mean, what what's motivating you here? I have constituents that literally are desperate and suffering. And I, I would just rather get to the point where I've either convinced them intellectually, morally, or logistically of how to get how to get this done and get through with this. At this point, the whole all hands on deck edict is just not true. So let me just say this. This is the issue right now. This is the most pressing issue. This is the most important thing, not in one, ten, or a hundred people's lives, in tens of thousands of people's lives, and we need to get this done. So I'm sure that they'll be somewhat, I hope, receptive to a few ideas. Namely, large corporations in Florida that furloughed or laid off a bunch of people, they've got the employer information, okay? Instead of them going through the process Perhaps we should be working with them to coordinate payments to their employees instead of waiting for a third party to try to process it. So I'm here to serve, to bug, to nudge. And as each day passes, I'm getting a little angrier and angrier and angrier. And, and I don't think, honestly, you know, you said you want to act as peacemaker with the president designate. I have tremendous respect for Wilton Simpson. And we talk regularly. And I, I think he's similarly frustrated that suffering in his district is no less than it is mine. And I'm not blaming anybody, and I don't think this is partisan. What it is is this governor's inflexible to just reverting back to a manual system. He got himself through March by blaming Scott. He got himself to the first part of April by blaming Lawson being inept. And Satter was doing great for a week to 10 days. But here we are. We've now stalled. And if I can help one person, 10 or 100, and my colleagues can do the same, why, why, why not ask us for the help? I, um, I... Just because I have you here, I want to. I, I was going to send this to you earlier. It's um, I'm, I'm pulling. It, it, it's you know, it, it hits home in so many different ways. It's a friend on Facebook last night. I reached out to her today, and I, I reached out to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to hit you again on it. Um, 
I have tears in my eyes as I post this article. This has been an absolute nightmare. Every morning we wake up and hope and pray that today is the day that the nightmare ends and we've been deemed eligible. But no, it doesn't happen. Another day passes, and again you wake up, eagerly running the computer to see if there has been an update. Nothing is being communicated. Nothing is being answered. And then she goes on uh, to tell more of her terrible story. She's a she's a very good person. She's a, a bartender at um, the Vinoy, which is a Marriott brand. Um, I know well. She, she's getting screwed. She's just getting screwed here, and it's just. It breaks my heart. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what we do there. I don't know what we do for. I mean, this is the kind of person we want to help. She wants to get back to work. She doesn't want to be, you know, it kind of makes, it pisses me off when I read Rick Scott talk about people don't want to get back to work. This this woman wants to get back to work. Uh, Peter, we have- Peter, Andre that drives my kids in the morning when my wife's at work and I'm up here in Tallahassee and drives them to school every day. He wants to be at my house every morning picking up my kids. You know, I mean, it's it's and listen, Rick Scott's from humble beginnings. My family's from very humble beginnings, but we don't have this this disdain, this almost weird contempt for those that that need help at this point that Rick Scott does. And it's really, really strange. It's it's kind of bizarre. It's a very, very strange, strange component of his character that he has such disdain for the poor. But we now have a demographic right now, Peter, that's never asked for help before in their in their entire lifetime. And yeah, we're probably a little spoiled with Amazon Prime and Instacart and Uber Eats and Apple Pay about getting things instantly. But we've never had this many people, this large of a demographic that's never asked for help, finding out that there's nobody on the other end that can do anything. And it's really strange to have the governor stand at a podium and spend one fifteenth of the amount of time discussing unemployment. And I said this the other day on the news, and I'll say it to you, and I'll, and I'll keep saying it ad nauseum. Nobody blames Governor DeSantis for the coronavirus coming to Florida. Nobody does. It was going to happen. Him or anybody else. And his efficacy uh, as a governor and his leadership has nothing to do with the invasion of a virus. Nobody will remember that Governor DeSantis or think that he was responsible for the coronavirus. They are going to remember not being able to feed their kids and getting evicted out of their homes. And so I'm, I know I'm in the minority party, but I'm up here because I, I'm not really interested in that po- political optics. I just want to get this done. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't, going back to the Scott part, you know, I don't know anybody who, made, who has made it, you know, that went from poverty to, to billionaire wealth. I don't know anybody like myself who, you know, hustled to get where they were and, and came from a hard scrabble life that then turns around and pisses on the floor like Rick Scott does. Like, I get I get being a Republican and, you know, low taxes and deregulation and, you know, all that stuff, but I've never seen somebody with this Marie Antoinette attitude that he has. Um, as for DeSantis, you know, I wish he spent more time talking about the unemployment system than he did what the media got wrong about modeling and so forth. And so, um, all right, let me bring this podcast in for uh, a little bit um, of a nicer landing. Um, I just want to go back. I know kind of like when it got serious for you. What was your last normal day like since you've been up there? What, what was your last 
normal day for Senator Jason Pizzo? Uh, honestly, you know, our session went late into to March 18th, and I stayed yeah. up here a few more days because my son Julian was sick. We kind of thought maybe he had it. Uh, and we waited a few days, then we went back, and then it, the rush just started happening. My wife had tuberculosis a couple years ago, so she was told if she gets sick, she's going to die because her cavity never closed in her lung. And then we had the influx of calls and messages and desperate, desperate calls. We did a food drive for 3,500 cars. And then after that, Maggie and I, my chief of staff, and I just said, screw it, let's, get, let's go up here. So I've been very, I think I've been very nice for me, for those who have known me for a long time. I've been very patient and very calm, relatively speaking. But it, it's really enough is enough now. Um, I, and I think we're, we're going to be talking to Deloitte this week as well. I'll, I'll report back on that one. What is, uh, I'll, I'd like to hear about that. Um, I know, I don't know what your daily life is like right now. You're in an empty capital away from home. I I mean, you're really hunkering down, but you're, you're working more so than not. So I don't think that you're watching Tiger King or The Last Dance, but if you were or something like that, is there something you'd recommend people read or, uh, or watch while we're in this kind of stay at home period? Peter, I'm going on 31 hours straight right now of just responding to people's emails and messages. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I do, I do, I do four to 10 minutes if my twin boys are interested in talking to dad on FaceTime sometime throughout the day. And that's it, man. Yeah. Listen, I've been, before this, I was a homicide prosecutor. So this is really hard for me not to be aggressive. And I'm trying to be calm. But I'd like the governor to say something to the public sometime this week about I'm sorry to the moms and dads whose kids look at you like you're a failure, that you're feeling like a failure, to the people that are suffering from cancer and sickness and despair and terrified, their hair is falling out, their gums are bleeding, and they wanna take their own life. Stop high-fiving yourself about how great we do with coronavirus and just say help is coming, or it's not, so people can move on. Because most people, hardworking, self-respected people, would rather have a firm no than a slow maybe. Jason Pizzo, state senator, I really appreciate you coming on and everything you're doing. Um, stay in touch and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Peter.